0: Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. You ask what is our aim, I can answer in one word, victory.
1: I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up. Sport has the power to change the world, it has the power to inspire. Hello, my name is Russ Yule, and this is the Leading Good Podcast of The idea of our podcast, if you've listened to the original one, is that we want to be helping and inspiring and encouraging everyone to lead good. That doesn't mean be a good leader because... Good leader means that you have um, no inadequacies, no limitations, no weaknesses, uh, no faults, no flaws. We think everyone has weaknesses, flaws, and faults, but we think everyone can be a leader. The idea is to take whatever talents and abilities you have, whatever weaknesses and flaws you have, and grow through those so that you're able to get to a position where you can inspire people, whether it's at a nonprofit, it's at a for-profit, it's in your community, it's in your family, to do good things, to do good for people in those places, at home, in the community, at school, at work, your sports team, leading good. Today we have an interesting theme or an interesting topic. The topic is why politics needs a Steve Jobs. Now, this is not going to be a political podcast because politics is polarized and stagnant and stuck and... There's a lot of anger out there. So this is really a podcast about why a person like Steve Jobs, who, you know, passed away some years ago, uh, really provides us with a pretty good blueprint for leadership in the 21st century. Now, there are some people out there who will have a negative view of Steve Jobs and they'll think of his flaws, his weaknesses and. You know, there's some people who seem to have a hate for him, but I don't think that there's anyone who's perfect. And we can learn from just about everybody. Uh, And he clearly is one of the greatest CEOs of the uh, 20th and 21st centuries, So he's worthy of examination. But in my book, after we take a look at all of this, I think we'll see that. Politicians can learn a tremendous amount from Steve Jobs. Government can learn a tremendous amount from him. And while I'm not a historian or expert on it, I'm a student of his leadership. And today with Nathan Schaefernoff, we'll begin to address this topic, Why Politics Needs a Steve Jobs. Now, Nathan's been doing some research because he didn't know a whole lot about Steve. And, uh, and I know there's a lot of Silicon Valley people where we live who, you know, love Steve and believe he's got incredible abilities. But I wanted to see what Nathan learned as he looked at it. And we'll make a connection between the Steve Jobs of Silicon Valley and company building and the political infrastructure of America in the 21st century.
0: It's all started just me getting interested in this because I was like, I need a new phone. And, like, my first thought was, like, oh, I need to go to the Apple Store or let me just go Google, you know, or go Apple.com or whatever. And I'm, like, and then I had to pause for a second because I'm, like, why is that my first instinct that, like, I want to go to the Apple Store to, like, find a new phone? And, like, Apple products has become so ingrained in, like, everything that I do, whether it's my phone, my laptop, Apple TV at home. That's how we watch TV now. We don't even have cable, you know? And so it just made me think about, this guy i know he wasn't the only person at apple but he was the driving leader the driving motivator to create this culture and this these products that have become so integral in my life you know and i'm like somewhere down the line that guy did something right you know cuz he basically changed you know just how we operate as society you know and i thought uh, on the concept of creativity and like does a leader have to be the person who's the most creative person or the most uh, driven to like come up with all the new ideas, you know? Um, and so is it the leader, is it a leader's job to innovate, to keep people uh, around them from settling or from sitting in? Cause from what I've read and what I've heard, he was a very driven guy that always kind of pushed, you know, the people around him, um, especially the people at Apple to always like Excel, 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 you know, and to make things that frankly never existed before. Right. When the iPhone launched what, twenty? Uh, 2007, you know, or 2006. That was something that nobody had seen before, you know, and we're blown away. Well,
1: they'd seen it. The Palm operating system had a Palm phone, and that came out earlier, and there were mobile phones, and then yeah. iTunes had a player, a music player. Microsoft had a music player, a thing called the Zune, Z-U-N-E. The Zune. And so these <laughs> things existed, yeah, yeah. They, they and, and, and the iPod was both a music player and a hard drive. Yeah. And so... Uh, they existed, but they didn't exist as one and in a way that uh, the software and the hardware was so smoothly integrated that you uh, had a seamless experience of your music. You had a seamless experience with your phone. It was all integrated. So he, in a sense, I mean, most people who are historians of technology would say that what Steve Jobs was really great at was looking at the uh, comprehensive a landscape of technology in a particular arena and then after a lot of people had tried he was able to bring it all together and make it into the device that everybody wanted to have so that's how the mac came about
0: yeah because i i remember when i was in high school and like that got launched and i had a flip phone at the time you know um i don't even know who uses flip phones anymore but like so everyone's either got you know an iphone or you know google phone or whatever you know and like it just basically shifted the whole like yeah. concept of what it means to have a phone and to have a small computer in your pocket
1: we'll get mike to look up and see if the palm phone was first i think it was i think the palm phone came out first and that doesn't even include the newton by mac under gill which was a handwriting device that was handheld that had some of the same there were a lot of handheld devices right on the device devices that existed yeah beforehand when you look at it. And I'm not saying he didn't, for all intents and purposes, invent the smartphone. What I'm saying is yeah. what you're talking about is even more compelling because there were some things out there. People got started before him, yeah. but they couldn't get there.
0: Yeah. And I think he always seemed like a guy to me that like, well, let me just read you this quote from okay. 1994. Go for it. It said he, this is Steve Jobs. He said, Picasso had a saying, good artist copy, great artist steal. We have always been shameless about stealing great ideas. I think part of what made the Macintosh great was that the people working on it uh, were musicians, poets, artists, zoologists, and historians who also happened to be the best computer scientists in the world. And I love what he said about, like, good artists copy, great artists steal. I, I think he was shameless in his, you know, stealing of things, ideas. And I remember even having conversations when I was in high school of, like, this touchscreen and like on the iphone and the responsiveness of it you know at the time um maybe if i held one in my my hand right now it might might not be the greatest but at that time i was like wow this is amazing sure because i think even before they had styluses and so you're always using like a little pen type you know object to to interact with your device versus the actual immediacy of your fingertips you know to interact with with technology um but i think he was great at Taking what was out there and then pushing it to the next level or combining it and bringing it to the next level. Yeah,
1: bringing about a sense of convergence. So, Mike, what would you find about the Palm Pilot? <laughs> okay,
0: so the Palm 7 came out in May of 1999. That was the first Palm with uh, wireless data communication.
1: Yeah, so that was what year again? I missed it. Nineteen ninety nine. The first Palm Seven came out with wireless connectivity, and it was basically a scheduling device, and you could take notes and make notes. And so, Palm, which you nobody know a lot of people out there going, what in the world is Palm? You look up the Palm OS and Palm. Palm was like it. Everybody who had a device that was a, a, a capable of a digital assistant, I think it was called back then. Everybody who had wanted a digital assistant had one of those, uh, and it had a it had it had a flip capability, had a little window on the front. It was pretty amazing. The reason I make this point is because I I I, I don't know how how much I like the Picasso quote stealing. You know I don't, I don't <laughs> know how much I like that. Uh, I mean, I, there's been a lot of people who said that kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure he stole. That's why. Now there are a lot of people who will say he absolutely ripped it off. Um yeah. You know that's like saying that. Uh, let's take politics. Lyndon Johnson, when he made the Great Society, was stealing from FDR. I think there are iterations of things, yeah. and I think an iteration can be an invention. I don't think I, I, I doubt very seriously if you look at any invention, there's ever been anything that was just like there was no hint of it before it existed. So let's let's come around and talk about some of the things that you just mentioned and why I think. Politics is is relevant here, and the theme being why politics needs a Steve Jobs. First thing is, in doing the Leading Good podcast, my mindset is a little bit like Thomas Friedman. Thomas Friedman, a columnist for the New York Times, has written some extraordinary uh, bestsellers, uh, everything from international relations to uh, the changing world digitally and how it affects everything from climate change to the speed of our lives. He has a quote in his book called Thank You for Being Late. It's his most recent book, and the quote says this. Everyone goes into journalism for different reasons, and they're often idealistic ones. There are investigative journalists, beat reporters, breaking news reporters, and explanatory journalists. I've always aspired to be the latter. I went into journalism because I love being a translator from English to English. I enjoy taking a complex subject and trying to break it down so that I can understand it, and then help readers better understand it. My mindset in doing the Leading Good podcast is not that we're trying to be experts as historians or management theorists, but that we're studying all of these things and saying, well, how can we explain it so people understand it? I think Steve Jobs was a transcendent leader, and by that I mean he was someone who would have been great at at, at being in government. He'd have been someone who'd have been great in the nonprofit world. He'd have been someone who would have been a phenomenal um, um organ, uh, Manager or owner of a of a of a sports franchise of, of a retail franchise. I mean, he 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 would have done it. Blockbuster would still be around if Steve Jobs had been running it. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. <laughs> um. And one of the things that I look at today in politics is there's a few things that are going on that I think are relevant even to the 2007 advent of the smartphone, the Palm OS, and the flip phone. Because what what you're talking about here is you're absolutely right. You're talking about innovation, and in my view. Um, you know, I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm independent. I made that my mind up about that long time ago. I grew up heavily into politics, grew up in a family that was heavily Democratic. As a little kid, I watched the Watergate hearings. As a little kid when I was, like, in elementary school, I was— uh, one of the campaign managers in my city was um, for McGovern campaign manager lived across the street from us and I would go and campaign for McGovern. And he got beat so bad and then that I got discouraged and I was like, I think I need to be a Republican or something. And, and then and then I, that didn't work out. And and as I got older, I was like, all these guys are, you know, I don't know what they're doing. And then I lived in D.C. for four and a half years and and learned a lot about politics there. And, and, and one, I learned that politicians are human beings. Number two. Uh, I learned that politics is no different than any other organization. Organizational behavior covers them all. Psychology of crowds, groups, uh, leadership's the same no matter what you're doing. Um, and today, when you look at the polarization that's happening, a lot of anger, um, there are a lot of people be angry that we're even talking about this and not taking a position. Uh, I think what you have to do is move beyond the positions of am I for healthcare? care? Am I not for healthcare?" And you have to ask the question, is government broken? Not is the Constitution broken, but is government broken? Have we lost the capacity to know how to innovate government? So if you go back to the uh, prior to 1776, 1775, and I'm doing this off the top of my head without you know checking my books and references, when I look at people like Alexander Hamilton, John Adams, uh, Thomas Jefferson, um, George Washington, Thomas Paine, some of the original guys that were thinking uh, uh, and, 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 asking questions about how government is governed. They were innovators. Yeah. They were totally. if you go back and look at Joseph Ellis's book called founding founding brothers, one of the things he talks about is that it wasn't this organized, preconceived, already figured out thing, but it evolved over time. What has happened is that people have lost the sense that the constitution is a, is a foundation and, and a flexible article. It's something that's supposed to be a little bit alive. And when I look at politics today, I don't see a lot of innovators, people who are coming and saying, "Okay, I see what the need is, but I'm going to change this and do something radically different. FDR did that. FDR came in and said there's a complete depression. He said he literally said we're going to try a lot of things and we're going to see what works. And there are people who hated the things he did. But the guy just kept innovating. We have Social Security today and people are, some people are like it's going to go bankrupt we don't like it we do like it but the issue is in, in 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 at the period of the 30s and the 40s social security was like a brand new thing there yeah. was no social net people couldn't think oh man if i if I lose my job, I, I get unemployment. There was no unemployment. There was yeah. like moving with your dad and your mom and hope they have money.
0: You have to innovate when your back is against the wall, right? Because I'm thinking about, you know, back in the in 1930s when there was the Great Depression. It was you know, maybe arguably one of the worst times in America. So you're like, you have to try things. So you can't just keep doing what you're doing or like maintain the status quo because the status quo was terrible. Exactly. You know? People didn't like it. Exactly. You know? People hated it. So you're like, we're going to try stuff. And obviously things might fail, you know, but then some things might work, you know. So there is that idea in my mind of like, man, like when you're really, when you either you are put with your back against the wall or you position yourself in that way of like, we can only innovate to move forward.
1: Well, it it doesn't always have to be your backs against the wall because what it has to be is, okay, so you can have your back against the wall, like the depression, but that's a very complex subject because, you know, you got Hoover and what he did before (laughs) and all that. But if you take a look at Hoover, I did, Hoover was technically not doing a bad job from a technical position. Like, you could argue that his policies weren't, like, unheard of being practiced. Mm-hmm. But he, he, he. from my point of view, he couldn't seem – and he was a brilliant guy. If you go back and read history and forget about his presidency, he was a brilliant guy. I mean, we have the Hoover Institution right over here at Stanford because the guy was awesome. He was incredibly intelligent and, and capable. But what he couldn't do is he couldn't look at the situation and see it – completely different and that's the whole think different campaign by apple what steve jobs was able to do with the palm os and the zoom from microsoft he was able to look and go i can see all these in one device and that's all you'll ever carry and you'll have a computer in your pocket Instead of Microsoft, Bill Gates' theme of a, of a computer on every desk. Mm-hmm. So he was able to see what no one else saw. And that's the idea of one, a futurist, but a great leader, I think, an innovator, is able to look at all these things that already exist and see what no one else sees. I think FDR looked and he saw what no one else could see. And that's one of the most important parts of leadership. It's why I think politics needs a Steve Jobs, not someone who comes in and says, I'm for or against any particular group or policy, but someone who comes in and says, I see something nobody else sees. Let me tell you what America looks like in the 21st century. That's what's missing. You don't hear the speech of somebody saying, I can tell you what America looks like in the 21st century. So everybody's mad and angry because basically— we're taking the leftovers out of the refrigerator week after week after week and going, "Hey, I'm going to put the rice on top and the chicken on bottom." Well, I'm going to put the chicken on top and the rice on the bottom. And so I think people are kind of going, "I ah, yeah, this this kind of reminds me of like, uh, uh, do you if you like chicken on top, you're mad at the people who want rice on top. Yeah. If you like the rice on top, you're mad at people who want chicken on top. But there's not really anything new. Like if you think about it right now, there's nothing new politically being even suggested on a grand scale. David Brooks wrote an article about totally redoing elections in the New York Times about, I don't know, four weeks ago, that was brand new. But nobody picked up on that and said, I'm going to do it. That's what Steve Jobs would do. Now, let's break this down a little bit and get Steve Jobs in perspective. Why do some people not like him? Because he did some things that people don't like. Like, even I don't like some stuff he did. Wired Magazine in in the revolutionary, uh, Steve Jobs' revolutionary uh, article uh, wrote this. But there's one Mercedes, this is talking about parking, how difficult it is to park at Apple's Infinite Loop, which I've been to and it's totally difficult to park. <laughs> but there is one Mercedes that doesn't need to search for very long and it belongs to Steve Jobs. If there's no easy to find spot and he's in a hurry, Jobs has been known to pull up to Apple's front entrance and park in a handicapped space. As a person who has handicap placards for my kids, I go, that is terrible. Like I, I mean that that just is terrible. Sometimes he takes up two spaces It's become a piece of Apple lore and a running gag at the company. Employees have stuck notes under his windshield wiper, park different. They've also converted the minimalist wheelchair symbol on the pavement into a Mercedes logo. So there are a lot of other people who will say, you know, I hate him for this reason or I hate him for that reason. Everybody does something that people don't like. And I think part of the difficulty of why we probably would never elect a Steve Jobs, he was notorious for not living by focus groups. He did not believe that a group of people could tell you what they wanted. And he I think he had some famous thing like if Thomas Edison had said to people, do you need a light bulb? They would have said, no, I've got candles. You know, Henry Ford had said, do you need a car? No, I've got a horse and a carriage. And if I had said, do you need a smartphone? People would have said, no, I've got a flip phone and I'm doing fine. Yeah. And so I think part of what it is, is you is is the thing that's amazing about Steve Jobs and the reason I think he'd be an extraordinary person. Um, politician someone who could change things is that he changed himself and that's kind of what i want to want to sort of guide to i think to have great leaders in your society you have to be willing to take people with their flaws and allow them to grow any organization that really is going to be great in the 21st century has to recognize it with social media and this video record of everybody's life and picture record of everybody's life you're pretty soon you're not going to find anybody who can be a leader that someone can't go back and say hey, he tweeted this one time, or he did this one time, or he did that one time. I'm not talking about crimes. I'm talking about just just things that aggravate some group of people. And what I look at with him, there's the best book on Steve Jobs, I think, is not Walter Isaacson's biography. I don't think that's the best one. The best one is a a book called Becoming Steve Jobs. Um, The the evolution of a reckless upstart into, I think, a visionary is the title. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just want to I want to read you a couple of things from that um, that are interesting. And it's going to take a minute, but I think everybody listening will enjoy it. And and these writers are uh, former Fortune magazine writers, one of which was really knew Steve Jobs well. While he, speaking about Steve Jobs, while he was an introspective guy, he was not inclined to retrospection. Quote, what's the point in looking back? Unquote. He told me in one email. Quote. I'd rather look forward to all the good things to come. Unquote. A real answer would have to show how he changed, who influenced those changes, and how he applied what he learned to the business of making great computing devices. As I pored over my old documents, I've kept coming back to the time that many have described as his quote wilderness unquote years the dozen years between his first tenure at Apple and his return. That era from 1985 to 1997 is easy to overlook. The lows aren't as dramatic as the blow ups of his first tenure at Apple. And the highs, of course, aren't as thrilling as those he engineered in the first decade of the 21st century. These were muddled, complicated times and not the stuff of easy headlines. But those years are in fact the critical ones of his career. That's when he learned most everything that made his later success possible. And that's when he started to temper and channel his behavior. To overlook those years is to fall into the trap of only celebrating success. This book talks all about that. Now, here's the interesting thing. I moved to Silicon Valley in 1993. In 1994, I was part of a Stanford executive education program on innovation, uh, one of the leaders there is the great business thinker Jim Collins. He was one of the lecturers in that. But in the evening session, the final evening session, Steve Jobs was. Steve Jobs was was still running next at the time. And I had finished a book by John Scully on called Odyssey, and it was uh, John Scully was the CEO of Apple at the time, and Steve Jobs was on the outs. And because I'd read that, and I really didn't know much about Steve Jobs, I was like, wow, this Steve Jobs guy's really cool. But then I saw that it kind of all imploded on him, and so then I look up uh, about a year after reading this book, and I'm in this room listening to Steve Jobs talk, and he was talking about building organizations and developing leaders. He mentioned a couple of things then, that he was just working with this new company called Pixar, and that they had just signed a deal, I think, that week or two weeks before – To make some movie called Toy Story, and he mentioned a product called Adwala, and he kept talking about quality products. That's and so I was like, "Oh, that's very interesting." And so he talked about leadership, and I actually asked him a question in the group. The group was probably about forty people, Um, and I asked him a question. I said, "Well, how do you pick leaders? How do you choose leaders?" And he said, "Look." you got to get A leaders. If you get B leaders, you're going to get a B product and a B organization. If you get C leaders, you're going to see product and a C organization, get A type leaders, you're going to get an a type organization. And, 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 and he really went into that. And I was sitting there listening to him and I was like, man, this guy knows a phenomenal amount about leadership. And it was that moment that I went, wow, this guy, I can't believe he's not leading a more significant company than next. Cause next yeah. was in trouble. Even then, really? in about 94, it was in trouble. I've never and, even heard of it. So yeah, it's... <laughs> well, it, and it's one reason to read this book called Becoming Steve Jobs, because what they basically do is they tell you the story of his development and his growth. And that's the thing I want to talk about. So I actually asked him, I said, can I walk you out? And I talked to him for a little bit. But the thing that was compelling to me was when he was doing the talk, he had his young son with him during the talk. He brought him along and the kid was playing with toys or something like that on the ground, and he would stop and talk to him from time to time. And this was the the total opposite of what I had been led to believe that Steve Jobs was. In reading about it, I'd been led to believe he was a spoiled guy who was totally controlling, all these things that I was like, wow. But then I watched him, and I was like, this isn't the guy I read about in the book John Scully wrote about Odyssey. And that book's good. John Scully's book is good, and John Scully comes off good in that book. But Um, Steve Jobs doesn't. So here's what I learned. I learned that Steve Jobs changed and he grew. Fortunately, in Silicon Valley, that we celebrate failure here. So failure wasn't fatal for Steve Jobs. If he was a politician, he'd been done. It had been over. And that's the problem with politics is that we don't really allow people to grow. We don't allow them to make mistakes, do foolish things and make significant comebacks. And if you allow people to make comebacks, sometimes they make a comeback like Steve Jobs did in in 2007. He had a 10-year run at Apple, unlike anything we've ever seen. Yeah. Driving a company that I remember when the price of the stock was like $7. And I sat and thought, I, maybe I should buy it. But Gil Emilio, I think, was running it. And I was like, no way. I went to Macworld. I heard him talk. And I could tell that guy didn't know where he was going with the company. And I was a big Mac user. And I was like, No way. But Steve Jobs took that and made it the most valuable company in the world. Well, how did he do that? He failed ex- in an extraordinary way. Yeah. And he learned from that about building team. That's one of the big things you'll learn if you look at him. He learned about building team. He learned about um, not being controlled by being popular, but instead having a vision for what you're, where you're trying to take the company and where you're trying to take the world. And he learned all those things and i think that it 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 in some ways he sort of defines what james mcgregor burns in transforming leadership calls a transforming leader it says this instead of exercising power over people transforming leaders champion and inspire followers so i think about steve jobs and i say well, what would he do today well i think one if steve jobs was around today he would say okay who does america want to be not What policies do we need to have? But who do we want to be? Because that's what he did. When he went back to Apple, he got rid of a ton of their products, said, We've got like all these products that are basically the same. And he boiled it down, I think, to just three and said, We're going to get rid of all these. And the main thing he did is we want to figure out who we are. And that's how he came up with the Think Different campaign. The Think Different campaign was an effort, and this is a lot of this covered in a lot of the books. I'll go over some books in a minute. But the Think Different campaign was a effort to define apple for the people that worked there and i think if you think about it why does america argue a lot right now why are we polarized because nobody really knows who we are in the 21st century we're like are we you know uh, republicans are we democrats are we blacks are we asians are we immigrants are we there's not this galvanizing sense of we know who we are we know where we're going. And we understand that it's going to take innovation to get there. And that's what this guy was extraordinary at. And so I think, and obviously we can't cover everything. I think if you, as a student of, of uh, what do you call it? Uh, not just politics, but a student of leadership. If you're a student of leadership, you really want to study Steve Jobs. And you want to look at some of the great books, I think, that will help you even understand not only who he was, but why he would be a tremendous leader. So I'll give you a couple of books. The, number, the first book is Walter Isaacson's book on Steve Jobs, and that's a biography. You can get that just about anywhere. The second one is the book I already mentioned, uh, Becoming Steve Jobs, and let me look that up real quick for you and get the um, authors. So it's called Becoming Steve Jobs, The Evolution of a Reckless Upstart into a Visionary Leader by Brent Schlender and Rick Tetzeli. And that, that book, I think, is absolutely the best uh, biography of Steve Jobs that's out there right now. So that's a book you might want to uh, go out and pick up. The other book you want to get if you want to read and, and put it in perspective is Built to Last by Jim Collins. What's interesting, when Jim Collins was at the executive education program, he was talking about leaders who knew how to build to last and leaders who didn't. And one of the leaders he pointed out that didn't know how to build to last was Steve Jobs, who would teach later and who would later on, Jim Collins would go, I was wrong. I think he pretty much said I was wrong. Um, an additional book to, to uh, grab a hold of, if you want to study leadership, look at it and get in perspective, is a book by John P. Cotter called A Force for Change, How Leadership Differs from Management. That's another reason why Steve Jobs would be good for politics. He was a leader, not a manager. Today, you have a lot of people who are managing. They don't, they don't really have a vision. They don't really have a way to look at the world to say, OK, I know there's a health care problem. How do I solve that healthcare problem? I don't care if you're a Democrat. I don't care if you're a Republican. I'm going to solve this problem. Yeah. And a willingness to gut the whole thing. Um, I mean, Steve Jobs is the kind of guy to be willing to go, I'll run as an independent and I'll figure out how to win. And I won't be beholden to anybody. That That's yeah. the kind of guy. Another book to read if you want to understand him and you want to understand leadership, uh, uh, just an a essential book, is Peter F. Drucker's The Effective Executive. Because that, in many ways, will tell you why Steve Jobs was so focused. I doubt you read it. I don't think he was a super fan of him. I know he knew Drucker. But Drucker talks about how to, how to be really focused, and you probably have a quote that you found yeah. when you were going through it about the incredible focus of this guy, Steve Jobs. So when I look at politics today, I look and I say, where's the FDR of today? Well, we're not going to get an FDR uh, because it was a different time. But remember, FDR, he was a guy who was super rich um, and super connected, served in all levels of government, but then he got polio. And when he got polio, if you study, if you study FDR – He changed his whole view of the world. His whole view of the world changed. He found out for the first time what it was to be a have-not, and that informed, I think, a lot of his political uh, approach. And he became an innovator because he had to innovate to try to figure out how can I – how can I function again? Because he couldn't even function. He couldn't even move. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, you know, there's these movies about it where he gets to this place where he went to these waters that were supposed to heal your body. And he bought it and then opened it up for people with polio all over him. He did some incredible stuff. That's the kind of mindset Steve Jobs had. Uh, so would we elect a Steve Jobs? Probably not because Steve Jobs would say, you know, I don't really care what you think. I'm going to tell you what you need. Yeah. And so we wouldn't like that. But those are what that's what innovators do. Innovators come in and go, sure, 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 you think you need that. But let me tell you what you really need. That's what the Elon Musk does. That's what the Zuckerberg does. That's what the Bill Gates does. So it's sort of a Silicon Valley style leadership. But that's why I think if we had a politician like Steve Jobs, I think he would change our country in a way that the Constitution intended. But he'd be able to change it for the 21st century.
0: Yeah. And that was the innovation thing has been the biggest thing that stood out to me is that he's in many quotes and i started reading one of his books um but there's something inside of him that kind of kept pushing to like think differently to uh be creative to like there's there's a a more efficient way to do this or there's a better way to do this or like i haven't figured it out yet i'm gonna keep trying to figure it out exactly and i think when i thought about that in regards to leadership i'm like for every leader, you have to find out what that thing is inside of you Yeah. to be, then be able to kind of push and like have that vision you're trying to get to, Yeah. you know, because if you're just trying to settle and manage and like just tell people what to do or just like coast, like no one's going to want to actually really follow you. That's exactly right. But you have to have something in you that's pushing you forward or pulling you forward if you, if, you know, and, and, and going in a direction that you wholeheartedly believe because he, Steve believed in what he was doing. I have a question
1: for you on that. So you researched him and everything. So here's a question. Okay. It's an interesting question, I think. <laughs> did Steve Jobs become Steve Jobs because of something he did? I'm talking about in his comeback to Apple. Did he become Steve Jobs because of something he did or was he able to become Steve Jobs because of what the people at Apple allowed him to do and be? <laughs>
0: It's a tough one. I don't know. <laughs>
1: um, See, my theory on this yeah. is this. My theory is that you can't have a Steve Jobs without the people at Apple and, and really the people in Silicon Valley. Yeah. And that somewhat what happens in leadership is you get the leader that you're willing to allow to grow before you. And that America in the early creation of the, of the country was willing to allow – these guys who were sort of radically different thinkers mm-hmm. to lead. And there are a lot of Americans who didn't want to separate from Britain to lead them into this thing. And so I think some of it is, and let's just not talk about politics. Maybe you have a nonprofit, maybe you have a church, um, maybe you have a, a retail business. We're not going to have great leaders if we're not willing to support and nurture them through their falls, flaws mistakes and those are the organizations i think to get the best leaders is the ones that are willing to say yeah I understand he's not perfect but this guy's got the vision and he's got that spirit of innovation so I think I know it was him but I think you maybe you yeah. have to have a culture well I think yeah
0: that made me that makes me think that like the people at Apple believed in what he believed in you know and like whether he came in and was like yeah let's think different and they did the whole campaign and like got a lot of you know interesting people around it i I was looking up the different posters that they had right and they had mandela gandhi you know all these different people um to really kind of be eye-catching but then also like the culture was like we believe in what steve believes in and like so you allow for his faults and you allow for like the times he can be kind of a jerk or whatever you know but like because you believe in the greater thing that you're pushing towards right
1: and i think what's special about being in silicon valley is why i love living here is I think people in Silicon Valley understand, yeah, you may have this issue in your life or you may not be perfect in some way, but I've failed too. I think there's a lot more failure in Silicon Valley than there is in success. And so that's why I think Steve Jobs was so celebrated because there are a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, I have a startup and there are a lot of entrepreneurs. We look and we go, okay, if he can come back from failure, then I can come back from failure. Yeah. And so I think that he wasn't maligned because of that. People were like, okay, I get it. And I think at Apple – and Google and Facebook and LinkedIn and Boomerang and all the, the little companies around here. There are a lot of people in those companies who've tried to start companies and know how hard it is. And I can tell you from my experience just walking with him for a few minutes. I'll tell you two things and then we'll be done. Um, when I walked out with him, he was the most normal guy. I mean, I can't tell you anything about him that was like, oh, wow, he's superpowers. He was a normal guy and he was a nice guy. Because I said, hey, can I walk you out and ask you some questions? He was like, sure, come on. And we were walking with his kid. And I was nobody, still am really nobody. And it's not like I was like some important person. And the other time I well, – I saw him a few times. But the other time I saw him, I went to Borders. It's closed now in Palo Alto and University Ave. I don't know if you ever went to that. Bridge. No, I know. Yeah. So I walked in there and uh, I was looking for a movie for my kids. And so I'm standing there looking and I, I look out of the corner of my eye. And Steve Jobs is standing there looking at the same movie set right next to me. And I'm sitting there going, I mean, this guy's just standing here watching movies. What I mean by that is this. We always think that people who can do great things are like so different than the rest of us and superhuman and super perfect or we want them to be. I think a lot of times they're just normal people who see the world differently. And those are the people we need in politics. Normal people who see the world differently and can give us ideas and solutions. And so that's what I'm hoping for as, as we move forward in time is that we'll get these guys who are have failed, who've made mistakes, who've learned, who've grown, and come in and say, hey, I've got an idea you never thought about, and I'm going to tell it to you. And my hope would be we'd vote for them. So we want to thank everybody for listening to our Leading Good podcast. Obviously, we're not historians and experts on Steve Jobs, but we like him and we like what he did and we like what he was able to achieve. And we think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from him. Uh, I listed off those books. You can go back and check those books out. I think you'll really enjoy them if you're into leadership. Uh, And we'll be back with some more uh, interesting questions and ideas about leadership. But until then, thanks for all those who are listening to us and have an extraordinary uh, rest of the year.